0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Journeyman Fire Podcast. I am your host, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me, I'm excited to have Chief Jim Crawford. He is Assistant Chief of Midway Fire in South Carolina. He also rose up through the ranks in Pittsburgh, uh, where he retired out of Pittsburgh as Assistant assistant Chief of Operations. Uh, He was in USAR, he's in training, third-generation firefighter, also in the military, FDIC instructor of the longest-running hot class, RIT Combat and a mentor to one of my mentors, Paul Kappa. Uh, so today, I'd like to welcome Jim Crawford. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your journey through the fire career?
1: All right, uh, first off, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and hello everybody out there. Um, I started, uh, well, my interest in the fire service uh, came at a very young age. My, my father uh, was a volunteer uh, firefighter, and he actually ended up being the chief of a volunteer department in the suburbs of Pittsburgh so uh, he would uh he would cart me around on the trucks and take me through parades and all that stuff and i just uh it was just one of those things that was in my blood and, and i loved it and uh, uh so i did it as a volunteer for a while uh, i started off in the volunteer service in 1976 so i started my uh finishing up my 44th year in the fire service now um i uh Again, I started the volunteer uh, side in 1976 and I loved it so much that I wanted to uh, to get paid to do it. So uh, I graduated from high school in 1978 and I went straight into the Air Force uh, fire protection field. Uh, so I uh, went through the Chenute Air Force Base fire school, uh, very interesting. Uh, doing the JP 4 pit fires and all that type of stuff and then uh, like my first uh, duty assignment as an active duty um, firefighter was uh, Dakota Air Force Base in Tokyo Japan so I spent two years there and then my last uh, two years I did at McConnell Air Force Base in Wichita Kansas where Sammy Hill runs out of but uh, yeah that's where I, I finished up and then when I got out I Obviously was looking for, uh, I got out in 82, so I was looking for obviously a career job somewhere. Uh, and I landed a DOD civilian job at uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia VA hospital fire department, a pretty, pretty nice little department there. Um, worked there for, I don't know, about a year. And then I laterally transferred to Andrews Air Force Base fire department as a civilian firefighter. That's when uh, Reagan was the president. And it was a very interesting uh, uh, fire service there because the fire department had to go out and do standbys whenever the president was either flying out or flying in. Uh, the whole department had to be out on the ramp. Saw uh, Reagan a few times, so it's pretty pretty interesting gig there. Um, so after that, um, I, I really wanted to get on to the Pittsburgh Fire Department. That was really my dream. So I moved back to Pittsburgh and started the process of uh, trying to get on and uh, finally uh, 1993 I actually made it on to the job in Pittsburgh. I did 20 years there moved up I I retired as the assistant uh, fire chief operations uh, and um, did my 20 I retired and uh, wanted a nice uh, Beach Community Fire Department as a chief officer and I ended up here at Midway Fire Rescue uh, just south of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So we're a, a, a smaller department. Uh, we got three stations, um, 19 uh, on duty uh, every day, three shifts, they have 24 on, 48 off. Uh, we do the ALS here. So we have two, uh, two frontline ALS medic units we run And then uh, three engines, two are Quince, and then a BC. So uh, we're fairly busy, about 4,000 runs a year. Uh, But you can't – and we got 16 miles of Sandy White Beach right on the Atlantic Ocean.
0: That's a nice backdrop to do firefighting at. Can you talk uh, to us a little bit about – you went from a big city department, which I'm sure has a lot of tradition, to out to Midway. How was that transition and what kind of things did you bring? Because I think the majority of the fire service is probably from a department the size where you're at now, but has aspirations of making their department like something you came from. How'd you do that transition or what did you do?
1: All right. Yeah, that's a good question. Because um, actually a lot of my friends I know uh, have done something similar to what I've done and we discussed that. But uh, it, it, it took me a couple years to adjust, uh, you know, being from the north and being from the south is two different animals uh i was used to doing you know like a hundred things all at one, one time you know you just time manage and balance and uh down here it's much much slower so you got to kind of take a step back and and things don't move super fast here uh, they like uh, they like the slower pace but uh and, and a bit in the big scheme of things it's it's, it's easier that way because you really make sure you can get get done what you need to get done correctly but uh, the hard part again was, uh, you know, when I left Pittsburgh, there was 650 firefighters. So I came here and there's 60 firefighters. So uh, at Pittsburgh, you'd go on three or four long fires and you may not know, you know, maybe half the people. Uh, you've never seen them before because they work across the city or what have you. But here, you know, everybody. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, everybody's personality and, and it's just it's it's a lot easier that way because you really know what everybody can or can't do or what they don't like to do or do like to do it just kind of makes it easier um we've done some some different things here since i've been here uh we went to the box alarm system uh, when i got here uh it makes it a lot easier with dispatch for our districts done in the three districts uh so i mean there's there's been a lot a lot of good things happening here at
0: Did you do anything operationally? You mentioned box alarms, but did you do anything like um, tool assignments and pre-arrival assignments or take anything uh, like that to where you're at now?
1: Um, Yeah, they, they pretty much had the riding assignments uh, when I got here. Um, But uh, we, um, it it wasn't really dispatched like that. It was, when I got here, it was, you would call, like for example, Merle's Inlet uh, Fire Rescue to the north of us is mutual aid and to the south of us is Georgetown City and Georgetown County Fire. And before I got here, what they would do if they were on a working fire is they would just call dispatch and say, send me an engine from Merle's Inlet and uh, another engine from uh, City Fire. Uh, that's how you really got your alarm. So we're we started the the alarm system, so actually we have uh, the CADs built up to uh, three alarms. So, obviously, Midway dumps our whole department on structure fires on the first alarm, and then uh, we actually started what Pittsburgh did is the, put the first alarm transfers in. What that does is that starts your second alarm rigs to your stations here at Midway uh, so that if we do uh, call for a second, they're much closer because the department's down here pretty spread out your figure about 15, they from 10 to 20 minutes to, to get uh, additional help mutual aid wise here. So we like to bring our, our second alarm companies in closer uh, so that if we do call the second, instead of being 15 minutes away, they're actually four or five minutes away um, at our stations and actually covering you know, the other calls that would come in.
0: That makes perfect sense. Where you're at now, do you guys have, um, duties split between truck and engine or is everything you know has everybody got to be cross-trained on everything
1: yeah everybody's got to be cross-trained i'm sure a lot of uh, chiefs or firefighters out there that work in smaller departments you know such as ours here um you got to be cross-trained because uh one shift you might be on the engine the next shift you might be on the medic unit, and then your third shift you might be on the ladder truck so it's pretty much a, a cross-train uh, department here.
0: You spent a lot – uh, you did some time in training with Pittsburgh. How do you – how did training differ between there and where you're at now? I know you probably got a lot of more sets and reps up in the city. Um, does that – how does that play into to a department that's maybe not getting as many runs?
1: Well, I think probably the biggest um, – the biggest difference would probably be uh, budget-wise, because Pittsburgh had a large budget for training, and uh, we actually were able to put the whole department through different courses. Um, uh, grant funding uh, up there uh, came in, uh, actually one year we, uh, the fire chief uh, actually got a grant for uh, survival and rapid intervention team training, so we put the whole entire department through, uh, 600 you know, plus people through um, that type of training. So. Down here, you don't really have that type of budget. Um, the training facilities down here are kind of few and far between, so it's it makes it difficult. Uh, we have our own uh, burn facility, but they're uh, they're the Conex boxes. So that was new to me because up north, you didn't really see a whole lot of that. Um, you know, I'm talking about the the shipping containers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so they work well um you just have, you have to take care of them uh, Or else they'll, they'll rust out on you but uh yeah but, i mean we get done what we have to get done
0: so let's let's jump back to your pittsburgh days you spent 20 years in pittsburgh can you talk to us and tell how it was moving up uh through the different ranks and transitioning from each position
1: um yeah. Pittsburgh has a, a, a fairly fair uh, promotional process. Uh, it's a test, written test, and um, when you, you know, and then however you score, so you know, already gets a certain amount of points added to your score, so that'll raise you obviously up onto the list, um, and then that's how they actually promote going down the list. So it's it's fair and and um, and uh, it generally works for the best. Um, it uh I mean Pittsburgh's a fairly busy department uh obviously uh, you know when I was there there was four four fire districts, so certain districts get more fires than others um I worked in the third district most of my career, which was the east Liberty homewood area garfield and uh we did a lot of fires there uh, at least in the nineties when I was coming up through um uh, i mean five five to six working fires a week out of, out of the one house but um It, uh, again, it's, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fair promotional process. It, uh, you know, once uh, the only issue is, and again, i find some departments do like officer training academies or whatever, where they train you, uh, to actually ride the seats, uh, before you get there. Those are great. I mean, I wish we could do that. Pittsburgh actually didn't do that. I don't know if they're, if they moved into that, but you're kind of like, once you're promoted, you're kind of thrown into the, into the right front seat. And uh, that's that's kind of hard, um, you know, you know, you have to uh, have the fire skills, uh, you have to have the leadership skills to, to lead the crew. Um, you learn learning all different types of paperwork now and and different, uh, uh, different aspects of the job that, that you don't really get trained on, it's kind of like uh, you learn on a job.
0: Yeah, that's got to be tough. You, you'd mentioned the writ and survival training that everybody went through in Pittsburgh, you're kind of known as the godfather to written survival. Uh, how did you get involved with that as a passion?
1: Um, that's a long story. I'll try, I'll try and make it shorter, but um, I never really knew or really, I don't want to say cared, but I didn't really know a whole lot about firefighter rescue. When I came on at Pittsburgh, it came on, uh, in 93 and then we really didn't have, uh, RIT teams, um, back then. I think there was only a few, few departments, larger departments are out there doing it. Um, and then, uh, I was actually, uh, on the job, on the scene of the Bryson street fire, uh, Valentine's day, 95, where we had three firefighters killed. Uh, two of them were out of the station that I worked at number eight. Um, I was working a, an exchange of duty, a buddy day uh, that day, so I really wasn't even supposed to be there. But um, it was—it uh, was—it changed my life. Uh, it actually changed my life. I, I did a lot of things different after that. Um, it um, op- opens your eyes. Uh, I mean, I—I I literally uh, myself and uh, my lieutenant, uh, Mark Trochio, um we actually pulled uh, Patty Conroy out of the building and it um, it's uh, it'll de- definitely uh, wake you up. It um, it, uh, it changed Pittsburgh Fire Department. Uh, we actually Chief Dickinson was the chief at that time. He um, after all the reports came back in and, this, and recommendations and that, uh, Pittsburgh started uh, uh, what they call the Go team, which is the, the rap, rapid intervention team. And uh, Pittsburgh has a fairly decent program now. Um, you know, all the firefighters went through the training. Uh, and it, it seems to be that the firefighters take it seriously. Uh, that's the big thing. You know, I mean, how, how many people you talk to, oh, I got stuck on the RIT team at that fire, you know. But in the big scheme of things, that's, uh, in my opinion, that's probably the most important position on fire ground. Uh, you're responsible for one of your brothers or sisters goes down in that building. Uh, you know, the whole department's relying on you to to uh, deploy into that building and, and extricate them, uh, package them, remove them from the building. And uh, that's a huge responsibility.
0: Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the scenario on Bryson Street and how that went down? Um,
1: I, I would recommend uh, uh, those listening, uh, look up the reports. Um, there's some great reports out there just google about um, pittsburgh bryson street fire and you'll get you'll get a lot of the reports but um pretty much what happened is uh it was in the evening around midnight uh, and 17 engine um uh, was the first due uh at that particular time at pittsburgh um we had what we call details so if uh one engine company had two people call off sick or one person on vacation one calls off sick we have a minimum staffing of four on all the rigs so um two people would either have to be detailed so if there was excess uh personnel no no call offs or vacations at one station and they were riding five that extra person would go to fill the other seats um in other other companies so Uh, That's what happened at the 17 engine that night. They had the uh, 17 driver, 17 captain working and then two firefighters from uh, station eight, which is where I worked. Uh, And that was uh, Mark Linda and Patty Conroy. And uh, when when they uh, pulled up on that fire, it was uh, from the front Bryson Street side, it was a story and a half, small, looked like a small building. But if you're familiar with uh, Northeastern cities uh, Pittsburgh has a lot of buildings that are built into hillsides, um, so the front was a story and a half, but in the rear of the building, uh, from the alley, it was four stories. So that makes a huge difference. Uh, so I think uh, a lot of guessing, you know, went on because we, we we obviously we couldn't ask them what happened, but you know the assumption is they went into that into that first floor. Uh, not knowing you know how many there was actually two sub, sub levels, two basements. So they went in uh unsure of you know the height of the building from the rear. And uh they went in uh lots of smoke, uh high heat, could not find any fire on the first floor. So obviously the next uh rolling out rule of thumb would be fires below us, potentially in the basement. So they found the steps, went down the steps. Uh, into which would actually be the first sublevel and there would be another basement under uh, underneath them which was where the fire was and uh, they got into that room and uh, got disoriented uh, started running out of air um, couldn't find a way out there was actually a kitchen uh, on the back that actually led out to the back by a small porch and they they couldn't find that because uh, uh, and again, it's a domino effect. Um, they took their hose line down uh, down that stairwell, and the fire that was underneath them burnt through that stairwell, so they couldn't have any exit up those steps. So it burnt their hose line in half, so they lost water. Uh, the radios, uh, uh, one of the radios they had, uh, the fuse blew on it. Uh, they found out after the fire. Uh, so the dominoes, again, I use that domino factor, but. Every single domino that was set up uh, that day fell. And uh, so the firefighter from, um, I believe it was uh, uh, 17 truck, um, went into the building, followed the hose line, figured he was going to go in and help the hose crew, followed the hose down the steps. He fell through that hole, and in then in the stairwell fell down into the fire. Um, by the grace of God, he, he found his way, pulled himself up through that hole and got into the room where they were at. And, uh, they, uh, they were all almost all unconscious, uh, from what he, from what he was saying. And, uh, he actually heard the window break. It was firefighters and outside venting. He actually got over to the window they pulled him out and, uh, the other three firefighters were still in there. They ran out of air and they they actually suffocated and, and died in, in that room where they were at. Um, it was again, very confusing. Uh, the accountability system at that particular time at Pittsburgh was just uh, your ID tag on a ring on on the rig. So you know who's there, but you don't know where they're at, where they're at. We didn't use the power system at that particular time, but Pittsburgh's very spot on now with the power system. I think it's a great system to to find and know where your people are and account for them quickly um, but when uh when they came out of the building they um uh, they they were mumbling oh they're they're all dead in there they're all dead in there they couldn't really understand what he's saying they they took it towards that he was just confused so probably about forty five minutes later um And end up the 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 fire went up the walls like a bloom frame construction in Pittsburgh. It usually does. It gets up into the roof area. So that's pretty much where the firefighters were starting to work. Smoke lifts in that lower uh, floor level. Firefighters searching through the building, and they came across the three firefighters laying on the floor, Um, and that's when. uh, they yelled out the window in the backyard. That's where myself and uh, the lieutenant was uh, to come in here We got firefighters down. So ran in and, and uh, I didn't know who it was at the time. I just grabbed the first fire you know, I saw laying on the floor uh, and ended up being Patty Conroy. So uh, Mark and I dragged her out uh, to the backyard and <clears throat> got the face piece off and uh, started to to try and attempt to to revive, uh, the medics came over in Pittsburgh. You know, it's a different um, department EMS. They were there, uh, did a great job trying to uh, to bring her back. And while that was going on, um, they were working on getting the other two firefighters out. So, again, it's you know I I always preach when I teach. You know, we all need to we all need to read these reports and learn what happened and look at the recommendations because uh, we don't want these things to happen again. You know, so anything that we can possibly do to stop another event from happening, um, you know, it's our, I think it's our obligation uh, to the fire service and to our our people um, to make sure that uh, we don't allow it to happen again.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So it was was after that fire then that you, started getting involved in into the writ and trying to figure out how exactly. to save a brother
1: yeah it's uh because again like I, I never i never really thought about you know RIT teams nothing like nothing like that before so you know back in those days you know you think you're indestructible and the cowboy mentality and all that type of stuff you know you're banging all these fires out um so that's when, like I said, it changed my life and I looked at a lot of things differently. And so what I wanted to do is um, I made it a passion of mine. I wanted to uh, figure out first, who who is doing rapid intervention teams? And then secondly, what are they doing if you are doing it? And then um, thirdly, uh, I wanted to start creating a program where I could go and teach firefighters how to how to save themselves so i called around to a lot of departments across the country uh, the larger departments you with know, like new york city and, and uh, chicago and them were all they all had dedicated rescue squads that had that uh, assignment to them um, so most uh, smaller departments uh, they, they weren't doing it so uh, what i did then is uh i started to develop a program uh, I, uh, actually, uh, seeked out some other instructors that were interested in that, in that type of training, uh, in the Pittsburgh area. And, uh, we actually formed a group, uh, developed the program and we just started, uh, hitting it hard. Um, word of mouth, getting around it's a great class or whatever. So we, we just really started, uh, doing the program, uh, and, uh, you know, in, 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 around the Pittsburgh area. And then it, got to the point where we started going uh, to different states to do it. Um, and then the Pennsylvania Fire Academy asked uh, if they could use our program and we did a train a trainer form and they, they started uh, uh, teaching their state instructors. And it was just a big collective effort to try and, and get this done. My, my goal was to obviously, I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to, to teach everybody. Um, so my goal was to saturate the fire service enough where uh, people like yourself, Polly uh, train other instructors to go out and they train other people to go out and it just sort of uh, carries it on so that uh, we kind of saturate the fire service on uh, more instructors that are able to, to teach and be passionate you know, about this this topic. Uh, obviously, Polly was, was a good grab for me. It was funny because I listened to your interview with him uh and he had mentioned he told the story about the uh, uh top secret interview uh with him and that's true that's exactly uh, I, I you know I, I heard about his passion for this topic and and i was down there actually interviewing for uh, a chief of training position and i had the uh the ability to be able to go out with him for dinner and i, I question him like he said you know so and, and you know he's a great he's a great instructor and that's what the fire service needs is passion uh, people that uh, uh, give their soul to to this type of topic because in the big scheme of things you know I would say um, on the fire ground you've got a good working fire and once you commit uh, personnel into that building uh, someone goes down in that building one of our people goes down in that building no, nobody's coming in for us but us. That's what I say all the time, and and we need to remember that. So, so what I what I mean is, if if we get two or three firefighters uh, go down in a building, disoriented, lost, uh, uh, type of collapse, or it pins them in the uh, in the IDLH atmosphere. The incident commander can't yell, "Oh, uh, Mr. Mayor and Council people, go in there and, and help us get our firefighter out," or "Police officers, go in and help." It doesn't happen that way because we are responsible for rescuing our own. So we have to be uh, we have to be good at it, and we actually have to be the experts at it. Because um, think about it: if it's you if it's you that's in that building that's, that's getting uh, trapped or disoriented. I, I really feel that you think that you would want your RIT team that's standing by on the outside to to be able to be very good at search and, and packaging and, and operation of uh different type of uh tools in case you're trapped uh, to be able to get you out of the building. And um I think that I mean I've I, throughout the years I've seen a lot of change in that when uh, RIT really started to be a big thing and uh the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, uh, a, lot of, a lot of firefighters were very negative about it. And, yeah, you know, I don't want to be on that RIT team. You know, I want to be on the nozzle. But I don't know. It seems I, I think that uh, it's been more accepted now that uh, it is a very important assignment. And uh, we, you know, our, our job is to take care of our brothers and sisters on fire ground. And, and we need to know what we're doing. So uh, that's a good thing.
0: What kind of skills should we be working on?
1: You always hear this. Everybody says uh, uh, the basics. You got to be good at the basics because if if you're not good at the basics, you're not going to be able to to do advanced stuff. I think uh, all of us uh, instructors would agree uh, to that when we watch students. But um, you have to. You know, your search skills are so important. Uh, You have to. uh, uh, I'm a big uh, advocate of uh, teams using search ropes. Uh, It gets you in. Uh, if something happens, it's your avenue out, and when you do find a fire firefighter in a building, when you call for help, hey, we need airbags, we need cribbing, we need sawzalls in here, that second team coming in simply just has to follow your search line right to the rescue room. So, you know, things like that, um, uh, skills on, uh, on sawzalls and hand tools, you know. Uh, your hydraulic tools a lot of times uh, you know i like having the hand pump uh, hydraulic tools brought in um high pressure airbags inside of uh atmosphere like that you need to know how to do that stuff and you need to be good at it because when, once you get in that building you're not going to be pretty much see so it's either going to be uh the use of a tick to help you if you can't figure something out uh, or getting your face right down to what you're working on with a hand light and uh and trying to see what you're doing. So, you know, when it, when a mayday goes down, that's not the time to be figuring out how to how to be a good uh, rapid intervention team member. That all needs to be up front. We we need to be uh, we we need to be serious about that, and we need to we need to put the time into it uh, to be good at it. So, again, b- the basics we need to be good at, and a lot of you know, like uh, vehicle rescue uh, training is going to help prepare you. Uh, to be a good RIT member.
0: Can you explain to the listeners about your RIT class at FDIC? You had the longest running, uh, hot class at FDIC. Uh, it was full all the time. You had a bunch of awesome instructors, which I want to get to later on, but what was the premise or how, what was the class, uh, goal? Um,
1: what I, what I came up with is, uh, I wanted to, uh, and I, I really didn't know a whole lot about FDI. I knew about FDIC but I never had the uh, ability to be able to, to go to it. Um so I was uh, I happened to uh be been asked to, to do a lecture there. Um for a couple of years I went in and I started to learn uh the the processes and avenues of of how FDIC operates and I and I started to become interested in the HUNT uh programs. So I, uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to do, uh, not just your basic RIT class where the students come in and, you know, they practice, uh, on some stuff and, and then they move on. I wanted something that was a little more dynamic. Um, you know, you, the students are uh, pretty much spending a lot of money to be there for the whole week. Uh, and I, I think that they needed to have uh, something that they were going to remember. Uh, and uh, so what I developed is what we, We called the uh, uh, the RIT Combat Drills Program, and uh, it was an eight-hour class. So what we did is uh, uh, it took a lot of setup. I I give kudos to all my instructors, uh, which, again, we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, we would set up uh, four, four or so skill stations where we taught the students Uh, we'd break them all into into five person groups and we'd send uh, two groups to each of the uh, the skill stations that we were working on and they would rotate uh the morning through these skill stations to get the skills down and then uh, what we would do in the afternoon is we would uh the instructors would set up scenarios based on uh the four skill stations that we had set up and uh and we threw a lot of different stuff in there that we Felt that if throughout your uh, the students' fire service career that they they should know sort of like the basics like like I talked about so the students would deploy uh, in, into the uh, smoke filled environment and they would they would actually obviously we would have the mannequin uh, mannequin firefighters as the victims but they uh, they would deploy into the building and they would use the skills that we had taught them. Uh, and other skills that they they had in their toolbox uh, to extricate these firefighters out of the, uh, out of the environment.
0: Yeah, it sounds awesome. I'd seen some pictures of, uh, of different teams and what, how, what the times they got and everything. And I thought it was a pretty cool. That's, concept. Well, that's, one of the thing,
1: that's one of the things that we threw into the program. We wanted to kind of step, step it up. So, we would allow them to practice a couple of times on these skill stations. And then we would then we'd pull out the stopwatches and then we would we would time them on how quick they could get this uh, this technique done. Uh, and it, we actually made a, uh, a, a a challenge out of it. We had a, a time uh, time board up. Um, where everybody could see would list the team na- names and uh and we would writ- write all the times down and uh, everybody would look at that board and compete against trying to to get the better time not that not that uh, trying to do stuff as fast as you can is, is not what our intention was our intention was to show these uh firefighter rescue students that you can in fact uh, take some time learn a skill You get proficient at it and show you how quickly that technique can be done in the field under a little bit of stress. And our stress uh, was made by the stopwatch.
0: You had quite a list of instructors uh, that taught with you. I'd like you to talk for a minute about those instructors, how you selected them and how you mentored them. Because I think most of the listeners would be surprised how many of the people they listen to now and are leading in the fire service are to to use the term disciples of you um this
1: is this is going to be hard because i don't want to forget anybody just throughout the 25 years i've been teaching firefighter rescue uh when i started off in pittsburgh it was it was a it was a, a group of guys from the Pittsburgh Fire Department and then some other firefighters that I had met on the volunteer side. So the Pittsburgh firefighters, uh, uh, Jimmy Ellis, uh, awesome, awesome instructor and firefighter. He's a captain of Pittsburgh. Um, uh, Eddie Farley, he's a battalion chief uh, now there. Awesome, uh, awesome instructor. Uh, Joe uh, Mioca, another another great instructor. Um, Uh, well, I gotta write these down now, Uh, uh, Pete Pete Petruzzi, Jim Petruzzi, another phenomenal uh, instructor in the fire service uh, with Pittsburgh. Matter of fact, he just retired. Um, And then uh, I used uh, some uh, folks, uh, Paul Abbott from Rochester Fire Department, again in the suburbs of Pittsburgh um I used a, a group of firefighters from the New Brighton Fire Department. Um, great, great group of guys. Very passionate about uh, about RIT. Um, so there was a lot, of, a lot of uh, local folks that when we started the program, uh, that's that's how we got going. Um, and then as it morphed into the uh, the out of state classes and into FDIC, and I did a lot of work with uh, Firehouse Expo in Baltimore, um, did a lot of great classes there. Uh, we started uh, branching out and I had the opportunity. Uh, one of my mentors, and we talk about mentors, um, is Butch Cobb. Uh, from. Uh, he was he retired as a uh, deputy chief from the uh, Jersey City Fire Department. He was a great, great mentor to me. And Mickey Conboy, FDNY. Um, those two... Uh, uh, were phenomenal in, in, in guiding me in a direction that I, I needed to go. Uh, John Salka, a great, great mentor to me. Uh, Rick Lasky, um, all those all those uh, firefighters, and now chiefs, most of them, um, have uh, built me up to what I needed to do to help get this RIP program going. So um, Mikey Bates, uh, he's now the assistant chief of Providence, Rhode Island. Unbelievably awesome uh, wealth of knowledge. Uh, Bobby DeBay, uh, originally from Fairfax, he, uh, he's, I believe, the chief in Alexandria, Virginia now. He, uh, he helped for quite a long time. Um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal um, group of folks. Uh, Polly Capo again. Um, I had uh, Shad Johnson and Dave Askew from Charlotte Fire Department. Two great, great people, um, Steve Robinson from Columbus. Uh, Steve's uh, out in zone now, doing the Stretching for Success program now. Uh, but Steve was a big, big help to me. Jeff Cordell, another Columbus firefighter, you know, phenomenal instructor. Uh, you know, I was looking for for for, for instructors that uh, didn't have an ego. They, I wanted I wanted instructors that. Uh, when they taught, that they morphed and melted in with the students. Uh, you know, we wanted to be a part, a part of the class, part of the students, not not the people standing up there teaching. We wanted to be uh, with them. Uh, so a lot of my instructors uh, were jokesters, especially Eddie Farley. You know, he he really got the got the groups going, and. Um, and that's that's what you really need in training because again a lot of folks come there if they've never done these skills before we have the embarrassment factor in there and i have never done this you know so uh you know we we try and and make it easier for them to to get up there and and do do stuff because you know all firefighters you could tell a firefighter to do something then when it's time to do it he might be able to squeak through it but you let a firefighter do it and let it burn into their brain, they're going to most of the time be able to do it uh, uh, well for a very, very long time.
0: Oh, it was awesome. I know uh, some others uh, – I hate to put you on the spot and leave off anybody over the, that, <laughs> that, that light, no, length of time, <laughs> but Bart Simpson, Paul Combs, Shad Johnson, yep. yep. Davis uh tried to fill in some gaps. How did you – I've heard stories on how you ran your crew and I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty impressive keeping the the camaraderie making or having the guys go out to eat together and, and function as a crew. Where did you get that uh, mentality from? I, uh, I think I got
1: that from my father actually. Um, you know, my father has passed um, for a few years now. Uh, probably about 14 years or so but um i think i got that from him uh i my belief is if you're if you're going to uh go out and 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 teach students from all over the place i mean we actually at fbi we had students from saudi arabia uh israel all over the place uh, with language barriers and stuff like that so i felt that uh if you're if you want these instructors to, to be able to work as 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 one, everything you do for that whole week needs to be as one. So I demanded, my instructors, if you're going to teach for me, if you're going to be in this this cadre of instructors teaching at FDIC, we're going to do everything together. So every night we would eat together as a group. Um, we would we would go out. Uh, uh, to the bars together, uh, everything we did w- was as a group, so it, I, I just think that it, the camaraderie it built and 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 the passion uh, from you know banking off of each other just made it the, made it the group that I wanted to be teaching uh, students from all over the country.
0: Yeah. And as a student that attended FDIC for a long time, you could see when, when the group walked in together uh, to claud or whatever, it, the student's eyes kind of lit up or like, Hey, it's those guys. And to have the students be able to interact with the instructors when they were all in one spot was pretty cool. And I, I also appreciate the openness that you guys were to, to not only talk with students, but talk with other instructors because it kept seeming like the group kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know it's almost a symbolism in the firehouse that you kept them as a group uh bunk room rather than individual bunk rooms right is kind of what it seemed to me which was, was really pretty cool
1: I'd, I'd be remiss you had mentioned uh paul coombs i'd be remiss to to not talk about him just a little bit here um it was funny because uh bobby halton called me up and said hey uh and I, did, I didn't know Paul. I, I enjoyed his his uh, cartoons and, and read them, but I didn't know anything about Paul. To be honest with you, I didn't even know he was a firefighter. Uh, so Bob B. Halton calls me up and says, hey, uh, you're going to have to add another instructor to your group. Uh, I said, uh, okay. Uh, do I get to pick them? No, I have the name for you. I said, well, who is it? He says, Paul Combs. I said, that guy that does all the cartoons he says yeah that's him he says he's a firefighter too i said oh i didn't know that you know so first time paul taught with us uh it was amazing uh i i learned a lot about paul and i learned a lot about myself about um you know way you you, you perceive people you know paul's awesome he's uh he's a great firefighter he uh he's he is an awesome instructor he fit right in with our group um so quickly that uh, you know, I I just I I couldn't believe it. Um, and then uh, I, I'd be remiss to not mention E.J. Um, Mascaro. Uh, he's another instructor that I I, I got to meet th- through FDIC and saw the passion that he had. Uh, he was actually uh, working for the Charleston Fire Department. He's um, from the Erie, Pennsylvania area, but uh, Charleston's about maybe an hour or so south of me here, where I'm at. And uh, I, I met EJ at, at FDIC at a dinner, and uh, he's. I talked with him, and again, it was one of them top secret interviews. Uh, I said, hey, this this guy's this guy sounds like he'd be good. So I invited him to come the next year to FDIC to teach, and he he was jam up, phenomenal. Uh, he had the uh, he had the passion and, and the beliefs that, that I had, uh, on teaching students. And, uh, and unfortunately we, we lost EJ. And it was a, uh, a huge, uh, crush to me and my wife personally. But, um, it's, uh, it's very tragic, uh, to lose uh, passionate people like that in the fire service.
0: Uh, Chief, I'm glad you, uh, brought up EJ. What a good dude, uh, super passionate, great instructor. I uh, got to meet him a couple of times at Fort Lauderdale fire expo and Orlando fire conference. And always had a big smile on his face and he's definitely missed in the fire service for sure. Uh, let's chief, let's jump back into, uh, another significant fire that you were on. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the Ebenezer church fire that happened in 2004?
1: I, I actually wasn't working that day. Uh, uh, very odd I was actually teaching a uh, a firefighter rescue class uh that it was uh, that weekend it was on a Saturday and um, i uh I got a phone call uh, while I was doing a lecture portion and uh they said hey uh city's got a got a pretty bad fire at uh, church um got a couple guys hurt already said okay so I, I said keep me uh keep me in the loop uh Continued to teach, and then I got uh, the call that there was a uh, a major collapse, and there was firefighters trapped. So uh, I uh, I turned again. We talk about good instructors. I I turned the class over to my other instructors who I trusted uh, quite well to to finish that program out, and uh, and I uh, started heading uh, heading into the city, and uh, I was actually on the uh, Pennsylvania uh, strike teams are a, a, a regional asset of uh, Pennsylvania's urban search and rescue team. Um, I was a rescue manager here uh, at the time and uh, we are the, the USAR team was actually called in, into that so I uh, deployed into the city uh, as a member of the USAR team um, and uh, when we got there uh, it was a. It was definitely a major collapse. The 110-foot bell tower came down, <clears throat> and all the uh, the roof uh, wooden roof trusses uh, came down on top of um, several firefighters, and there was uh, two missing and believed to be uh, caught under the rubble. So uh, I was assigned uh, uh, to the uh, search cam team. Uh, took the search search cam into the building. Um, and tried looking through voids, but the the, the rubble pile was just, uh, it was just amazing. It was too big. Um, there was a basement underneath still with about a 12-foot drop into about four feet of water, so you had to be very, very careful uh, where you were walking. Um, couldn't find anything. Uh, Pittsburgh firefighters, other uh, groups were sent in um, uh, to help with the uh, uh, digging, uh, looking for the firefighters and uh and finally we uh as as we were digging we found obviously you can tell it's turnout gear with the with the uh, reflective trim you know and your heart sinks uh when when you actually uh, do that uh and then you uncover the rest of the body um then obviously you know they're they're deceased but um it uh it'll you know, I, I can't, I keep saying this, it'll change your life, it will change your life. You know, it's, um, you know, that fire, that firefighter there actually happened to be uh, Chief Brace. Uh, he was a battalion chief and he was actually the safety chief at that fire. Um, and then the other firefighter lost his life. He was actually stuck uh, in sort of like a void um, in his, uh, lower torso was hanging, uh, hanging above that fall into that basement <clears throat> and, uh, the group firefighters, uh, we were working with, uh, you know, we actually tied off some webbing to hold him in place and then we were able to pull him back up through that void to get him out of the building. But, um, it's, uh, you know, this is a dangerous job, you know, people always say that, uh, but I think uh, um, until you uh, until you go through something like that, you don't really understand how dangerous it is. I mean, we've all been to fires and we had our ears burnt and all that type of stuff. and We'll maybe come in to close calls. I can't even tell you how many close calls I've been in. I, I, I wouldn't even want to mention them because I wouldn't want my wife hearing, hearing what they were. But uh, uh, when you experience a line of duty death like that, and you're directly involved with it, uh, it it will it will it will change you it really will
0: you mentioned uh we appreciate you being able to share the stories on those line of duty deaths i know that's not easy and it's not something that the majority of has have um had the misfortune to go through so uh, hopefully we can can learn from from what you were telling us what what are the things, are there any things that you'd recommend uh, to a new firefighter getting on in order to, to keep himself safe or herself safe survival-wise? Any skills that you would, you would say this is a must-do yearly or, or, or more often?
1: Yeah, I would, uh, you know, I would recommend, again, I keep going back to the basics. You've got to know the basics because if, you, you, if you're not good at the basics, you, you can't, you can't move on to the advanced stuff. So, but I would recommend, you know, go to any uh, self rescue survival class that you can get yourself into if your department isn't offering it. Uh, cause those are few and far between. Uh, but you know, those type of classes will teach you the, uh, the hang jumps out of windows, uh, ladder bales, uh, uh, some, some maybe uh, rope rescue techniques on getting yourself out with a personal um, bail rope, uh, skip breathing, uh, all that type of stuff um, needs to be in your back pocket as a, as a, as a firefighter, uh, whether you're new or, or a veteran, but um, yeah, the, those, those type of classes you need to get yourself through, and you need, and the big thing is don't just go through a 16-hour class and then oh, I've been through my class, I know what I'm doing, and then two years later, you know, you get into a situation where you need those skills, and and, and you forget them, uh, so you got, you need to stay proficient with that type of stuff, uh, all your survival techniques, you need to stay proficient on, you know, get you, if you're a volunteer, you know, drill night, you know, uh, maybe once a quarter, or, or once every six months, or something, do a Strictly a self-rescue drill Uh, for the paid paid crews. uh, You know you can work that into uh, into your company training, Um, but that that needs to be a a, a skill because you'll lose that skill. I know Pauly talked about it uh, um, with all the muscle memory stuff. You'll forget that stuff, Uh, and when it comes time to and I've watched video after video after video uh, of firefighters. In trouble jumping out of windows bailing out of windows because uh, when it comes time you're in that building and you're and you're dying you're burning up that your cylinder's so hot that you're sucking in air that's hot that you can't even hardly breathe in and you're and you're, you feel your skin starting to burn you're getting yourself out one way or the other you're gonna you are gonna attempt to get yourself out and if if you find a window you know, if you don't have those skills burned into your brain, you're not gonna do it uh correctly. So if you come out onto a ladder head first and don't do the uh don't do the the spin and you could potentially fall off that ladder and and kill yourself um you know you say well i'd rather I'd rather fall off the ladder than burn up or whatever that's that's fine, but um, bottom line is we should all be proficient at saving ourselves uh, because that way. The the RIT team is the RIT team isn't ones they're the the, the safety valve. Uh, every firefighter should be able to know self-rescue techniques to get themselves out of the situation. Sure, mayday comes down, deploy the RIT team, uh, but you still need to try and save yourself. You you know if you find a window, bail yourself out. You know, um, and then the same, same thing with with uh, firefighter rescue skills. Every single firefighter on a fireground is a RIT member in my opinion, uh, whether you're on the first nozzle or, or, or on the ladder crew up on the roof, uh, because, and it's, and this is facts, uh, the RIT team generally does not save the down firefighter. It's the, it's the closest, uh, generally, the, whoever you're with, your crewmate or crew that you're with is gonna s- start the rescue, or whatever crew in that building is nearest to you, is going to be the ones that are going to come in to start the rescue so everybody needs to know how to uh, do firefighter rescue skills
0: now that you're a chief but passionate on the written survival side what would you say to chiefs that tell their firefighters don't practice the bailout skills it's too dangerous and i'm tired of people getting hurt or damaging equipment on those
1: well i mean i certainly understand from a chief's perspective um why they would think that but my uh uh my rebuttal to that would be there is absolutely safe ways to do that type of training and you have to make sure that whoever's teaching it is 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 ensuring that the saf- this the the safeties are in place uh, when you do the ladder bells, the ladder should be tied off uh there should be a safety belay line separate safety belay line that's attached to the firefighter before they they go out the window Um, and you know that's 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 safe that's that's a safe way to do it if you're practicing ladder bales without a belay line and and things of that nature sure you're going to hurt somebody and uh, uh, you just have to make sure you follow the safety guidelines for that type of training and let the guys go through it as many times as they want
0: yeah, no doubt. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners or resources or things you think they should uh, check into?
1: Um you know what, there's uh again, I'm old school and I've been told that many times, believe me. Um but I still try to uh stay with the times and, and, and the uh and the new uh things. Sorry, the guys are going out on the call again. But, um, you know, you have the transitional attack and you have the slicers and all that stuff. There's, a, it's it's almost like the Republicans and Democrats, you know, you have one faction uh, that believes in the and the other ones don't. But, it, I mean, there's a lot of, you have to learn the skills that are coming up. I I believe transitional transitional attack has its place in the fire service, but there's a time and a place to use it. Um, so you know, you need to you need to learn the old school stuff and you need to learn the new school stuff. Uh you have to you have to be able to uh to know both both sides. Um I mean there's a lot the fire service is changing, Grant, you know that. Uh you, you see it every day. It's 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 a different uh it's a different animal uh from when I started in nineteen seventy six. Um I rode tailboard for for a long, long time. I wore hip boots and canvas turnout coat, you know. Um and uh obviously that stuff uh you you showed up on the fire ground wearing that stuff today, uh that it's probably gonna be a serious problem, you know. So uh you you know just stay stay up with the time, stay stay with the techniques that are coming out, use your head, you know. Uh usually firefighters are, are a fairly smart breed. You know, you see somebody doing something, it looks stupid, and it probably is stupid, you know. I mean, you might need to think
0: twice about it well chief we definitely enjoy uh the conversation we had today we could probably do a whole podcast on the changes in the fire service you've seen uh from the time when you got on in 76 until now um but if people want to get a hold of you find out any more information um what's the best way to do that find out if you're teaching anywhere how how do our listeners go about that yeah i'll
1: I'll give you i'll give you my email uh it's the easiest way to get a hold of me uh j crawford the letter j then c r a w f o r d at g t county dot org so that's just g as in george t as in tom and then county dot org that's the best way to get a hold of me um you know I, i'd just like to add that uh you know i I couldn't have done all what i've done in the fire service by myself you know i'm very thankful that uh I've had such a great group of, of mentors and and uh, and firefighters, instructors that that helped me uh, with the with my passion, um, you know, trying to saturate the American Fire Service firefighter rescue. So, you know, I just suggest that you know grab hold of, grab a hold of coattails out there. You see someone that's you know, like someone like Polly Cappa or whatever. Or someone in your area, whether what state you're in, someone's that that's out there with the passion, teaching and doing it. Grab hold, coattails, you know. Uh, try and try and learn as much as you can. And because, uh, uh, like I said, that's uh, you know, fires aren't aren't getting any safer. They're getting you know, they're just as dangerous as they were, you know, 40 years ago.
0: Yeah, and to to dovetail onto that grab somebody junior from you and teach them everything you know and uh pull a chief crawford and and make disciples out of people because in the end i don't think all of us want to be teaching it away from our our families for the rest of our lives so the more people we can uh, pass that on to and that's the ultimate goal i think
1: yeah that's a, that's a great point um like i said i'm i turned 60 this year so my my career is winding down um you know, I'm not going to be able to uh, do this forever. So you have to, like you said, you got you got to grab grab a hold of the new folks and or someone that's really uh, interested in, in the job and, and and mentor them and 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 train them and uh, network with them, give them uh, give them names and numbers of people that that has helped you and maybe they can help them.
0: Well, again, thank you for all you've done in the fire service. Thank you for mentoring one of my mentors and being willing to share with, with all the listeners and anybody who's listening. If you see Chief Crawford out, I don't know, once the COVID's done, give him a hug or something and thank him for what he's done. But until next time, uh, that's it for the journeyman.